Vincent Sabonis, two-man game inside. Domas, dominant, dynamite inside on that one. Not afraid, and he got some dog in. And the steal, they can tie it with a three. Murray, yes! A Murray miracle in the desert! Welcome back to another episode of the King's Pulse Podcast presented by the King's Herald. My name is Brendan Nunez. And today we got Chris Watkins on the show of Sackdown Sports 1140. What's going on, Chris? How you doing, man? I'm doing well, man. It's uh, especially after, you know, after last night's game, it's hard to not be in a good mood. Uh, and also it's, it's nice to not be the host. <laughs> I, I don't know if people understand like how much more uh, easy and fun it is to just be uh, the guest on a show as opposed to being the host. So o- always glad to, uh, to be the second chair. Yeah, it's definitely different, right? Like, yeah, <laughs> I'm just here I for the ride. Get you there, exactly, exactly. Yeah, Chris has been doing Kings Weekly for 11:40, and then some of the pre and post. And I feel like I'm missing another one. Uh, what else? Um, yeah, I mean, we do we do recap shows after uh, after every Kings game. I do some of those, and then I've been filling in on Kings pregame shows, post game shows. I'll be doing the pre halftime and post game show on tomorrow's game actually so listen out there but uh yeah just there you go yeah <laughs> there you go well yesterday's Pretty game that you ways. talked about um was the cleveland cavaliers game the kings won that one at home just their second home win of the season in game 10 they're up to four and six um they won that one 127 to 120 um and this was right after the kings came back from a four game road trip where they split it and went two and two and uh, a lot of controversy in those two losses when it comes to the calls. Um, I I'm definitely somebody that likes to focus on the other parts of that game. Cause there were 47 and a half minutes in each one of those games that weren't controversial, but I, I get it. Um, but with this, with this Cleveland game, I felt like this was, I mean, the King, the Cavs came in eight and two, one of the best teams in the league. They're, they're stupid, talented, uh, every single one of their ridiculous. Yeah, every single one of the five guys in their starting lineup, a couple guys off the bench there as well, um, and kind of came in thinking that they were a matchup nightmare for the Kings, it, at least me. Like the Orlando game, right. I guess, was somewhat similar size-wise. They have like four players, 6'10 or above in their starting lineup. Shout out Franz Wagner. Um, but the Cleveland size is comparable, but it's just a whole different beast. Like I, I think Mike said the difference is how proven they are, right? Obviously, Donovan Mitchell came in like fourth the league in scoring and everything. But did you also come into this Cleveland game thinking it was was going to be a pretty uphill battle for the Kings? Or did you come in kind of thinking that maybe they have a shot to pull this one out? Yeah, I mean, like definitely their height was an issue. And and I didn't think about it coming into the coming into the game. But somebody mentioned it pregame and and it definitely, I think, played out. Uh, to be an issue for the Kings. And I think it was an issue in Orlando as well. And uh, besides the the height of the team, the talent on the team was was overwhelming as well. I thought Donovan Mitchell was going to do what he essentially did and, and give us 30-plus. Uh, he almost had 40. Uh, and then, you know, Evan Mobley, uh, there was just – there's nobody that we have that matches Evan Mobley's size. And then when you throw on Jared Allen as well, on top of that, it just seemed like there was no way that the Kings were, were going to be able to, to compete with, with Cleveland. I thought it was going to be another 
game that was kind of like Memphis, where even though the Memphis game was close, I think for a lot of it, we forget uh, it was it ended up being a 15 point blowout at the end of the game. Uh, and I was expecting something really similar to that. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think the size definitely bothered them. Like you said, the, I didn't think the Kings did a great job getting to the rim, but then at the same time, you're looking at 35 free throws on the night. So they clearly right. did. Okay. Right. Um, the rebounding battle is like shocking at 22, 24 rebounds and Cleveland had 42. Um, the, Kings also had 30 assists on 40 made baskets and single digit turnovers with nine of them. And I thought that that's pretty much what won this game. Like their offense was, was ridiculous. And Mike talked about at the end of the game that um, in post game, that it was kind of Jordy Fernandez, a head assistant coach who also was the head coach of summer league. People will remember um, it was kind of his idea to run this play and they ran the exact same play. He's Mike said at least 15 times at the end of the game. And I went back and kind of watched it. And a lot of it is really just um, guard will come down and, and initiate and then get the ball to Domas in the middle and on the opposite corner, um, Malik and Malik Monk and Kevin Herter will just run these, I guess it's split actions, but pretty much they just get to, freelance and do whatever they want. One person will end up cutting to the basket. They're screening for each other. Um, the other person will come get the ball from Domas and Domas is such a good passer and so quick with um, recognizing an opportunity that if somebody gets a good cut, he's going to make sure to reward them or it just turns into a pick and roll for either Malik or uh, Herder with Domas. Uh, Domas talked about post game, how he, it feels like his chemistry with Malik is, is really good and he enjoys that little two man game. But I mean, like their offense was was clicking tonight. And I think some of that had to do with the rotation. But I, I thought that their offense like looked like it could be one of the best in the league last night. Yeah, I mean, it for them to withstand that Cleveland third quarter where Donovan Mitchell has 17 points and it's just on fire. Karis Levert catches fire as well. Um and, for, you know, the Cleveland is also one of the best scoring teams in the league. They averaged 116 points coming into uh, last night's game, and the Kings were able to do that and then some. Uh, and, you know, for them to be able to match again with Cleveland's height, uh, the, their ability to still manage to get 130 or just under 130 points is – I can't imagine many teams are going to score 127 points on Cleveland this year. I haven't looked yet, but I, that's got to be their highest allowed so far this year. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I would be shocked if it happens again. Yeah, 127 is is pretty ridiculous against the defense that Cleveland has for sure. Um, and it was from everyone, you know, like I, I think that the the free flowing offense, like Herter told us at shoot around prior to the game that, you know, the offense is a work in progress, but they're trying to work to the point where they can't be scouted. And it's because they don't have an exact game plan of when Malik and Herter are in that corner of who does what they all kind right. of just feel it out in the moment. And, um, and then you'd make quick reactions and decisions from there. I think it's one of the things Harrison Barnes talked about post game on why he thought they did so well was, was quick decisions and coaches talked about one of his five staples on offense is playing in the 0.5 and 0.5 is just making decisions in 0.5 seconds. And I, I thought that the group that the Kings had out there last night really did that. I mean, HB led the or HB actually was second in scoring with 20, um, but it was great to see him clicking. Domas had 21, 14 for Herter, 14 for Keegan, 15 for for De'Aaron. Malik had 16 of his own, and uh, tr or 
Trey Lyles had 16, excuse me, and then Malik Monk had 14 of his own. Um, but but let's seven start players with over 14. Seven players over 14, and nine guys played. And it seems like Mike's figured out his rotation, but we'll get into the specific rotation in a sec. I just want to start with like with Harrison Barnes because Harrison had been had been struggling this year. Um, a lot of it was it, it was hard to figure out why. I, I guess I had that. King's beat episode where during a little Tuesday reactions thing, I said, I was worried that he could be washed. Um, and I thought that uh, maybe people overreacted <laughs> to that a little bit because now apparently I just think HB is washed. I was just saying I was worried. Um, but then he has games like this. And I, I think that he might be a bit inconsistent with his scoring production, but it seems like Mike really feels like he's always going to get good rebounding from Harrison that he's going to make the right passes and just not do very many things wrong. Like I, I think there's a lot of times that you want HB out there um, and be putting up 20 points a night because I think he could do that. But I think everything on offense, he's never really doing anything wrong. I think defensively he could be better. Um, Coach talked about they have some uh, one of their own defensive metrics or something. Yeah. Um, that they also, <laughs> yeah, he said he did this during his time at Golden State too. And he's like, yeah, and actually HB finished second in for the month in our defensive rating. So then Mark Jones was like, well, I wouldn't be doing my, my job if I didn't ask who number one was. And he said Malik Monk. And I was like, okay, well, that's an interesting rating you got going on there, but okay. Um, I would but, love, but, and yeah, I would just love to see what what the uh, right. formula is. I mean, Mike kind of like threw some general terms out. I think he said like rebounding percentage, assist percentage. Uh, it was like a post up percentage. Uh, it was. It sounded like a bunch of. Uh, hmm. Just, I, I want to go back and listen to uh, to the things that he said. I don't know if anyone posts pre game comments, but uh, yeah. yeah, I thought that was super interesting. Because like what, what to it. how I mean I test says the complete opposite. I mean Malik Monk has maybe been the King's second worst. I mean Kevin Herter recently has been putting been put in a blender repeatedly. It seems like he's team number one option to go at. But Malik for for definitely the first couple games of the season seemed to be yeah. target number one for for opposing teams. Yeah, he he definitely is not their best defender. <laughs> that's that's for sure I, I think he's been solid um but when it comes to when it comes to hb like where are you at with with him and in, in his production and i mean obviously he had a great game last night but sort of where are you at in this debate that seems to be going on when it comes to hb it's so tough because brendan you especially know me um i am not I'm not Harrison Barnes's biggest supporter in general. I think that this is a common issue that I've had with Harrison where he'll have great games where he'll, you know, he'll, t I mean, his typical performance is a performance like we saw last night where he's six of eight. Uh, I think he was also had uh, eight free throws. I, I'm pretty sure he was six of eight from the line as well. Um, but, you know, just very much in control, never, overstepping uh hitting corner threes but you know just at the end of the day having a great game but never really at any point taking over uh but then he'll also go through these lulls and three or four games in a row he'll score under 10 points and again taking under 10 shots and it's like all right you're asked traditionally in the past to be 
a top three player. Now he seems to be more of like a fourth, fifth, sixth option on his bad nights. Um, I My bigger problem is just kind of this is who he is. He goes through these random uh, stints of being bad for no reason uh, just because he's very unaggressive. And I think this is just the most extreme version that we've seen of it. Hopefully it's over, but I, I it just it didn't make sense to me where I, I mean, you weren't the only person who was saying that Harrison was washed. It just didn't make sense to me because traditionally, if a player is going to get washed, it's because they have some nagging knee injury or something like that. Um, that really, you know, gives them a good reason. Harrison Barnes is 30 years old. He's not he should not have any signs of wear and tear at this point. He has not been in the playoffs for the past five years uh he should be very well rested um so it it that that excuse didn't make sense to me but from what we were seeing it was the logical conclusion to come to because he he was playing that bad i mean what i don't know what percentage he's at now but he was somewhere near like 17 percent from three or something like that like that's that's like the monsters came and sucked your powers away <laughs> it, it really made no sense um, and Mike was never worried. Coach Mike Brown was never worried. He, uh, he kind of told everybody to calm down all the time. And I, I thought yesterday pretty much told was, us to shut the hell up. Yeah. Like he yesterday said, was a really pretty good moment y'all to post-game. pipe down about Harrison Barnes. Cause I'm sick and tired of your questions. That's pretty much the quote. Um, it was, <laughs> yeah. In post game, I, I think Mike just said like, yeah, he's played great. And um, you know, I, I love all of you guys or something along these lines, but I would really hope that y'all can stop asking about him. <laughs> um, so fair, fair enough. And point taken. I, I think that HB is a solid fifth starter and I'd expect him to kind of stay in that spot right? for now. Um, when it comes it was getting, to... it was getting close though for a second there. It was it really was. getting quite, I mean, especially after that benching in golden state, which, Yes, was justified, right? I mean, he he didn't play the last quarter and a half. At that point, you're on the ropes. Yeah, no, yeah. I mean, and I just think that like the Golden State one is is tough. The movement that was that kind of goes on with them. Like I, I kind of understand them going in a different, smaller direction. But HP had definitely had looked bad. And the other guy that kind of fell in that same category, Golden State, and um, hasn't been playing great recently. Um, but had a good night last night against the Cavs. Keegan Murray, uh, he had 14 points in that one. Um, but I, I think that he's still kind of working to get comfortable. I think that's something that Malik talked about post-game. It might have been after the Golden State game, or maybe it was last night. I, I don't remember. He just said, like, Keegan is kind of maybe trying to – still still getting a feel for where his shots are on offense, uh, when to take shots and when to not take shots. And Malik said, of course, he's going to work with him. Uh, to try to help him through that process as as best he can. But, I mean, we also know, like, Keegan Murray has some uh, family situation going on as well. So there's other things that he's dealing with, and he's on his first NBA road trip, um, you know, away from home. I mean, he's 10 games into his first NBA season. Like, I think it's normal for there to be hiccups. But, um, yeah, is there anything that stuck out to you with Murray, or is this just kind of like typical rookie stuff to you? 
Yeah, I think this is pretty typical rookie stuff for all the reasons you just laid out. I especially do think that the road trip thing uh, is a perfectly legitimate excuse. Like, I think it is the the travel aspect of it. The you're again, this is the first time where this is your job. Like, you don't have to go to class. You don't have to do X, Y, and Z. And Keegan's also a twin brother. Like, he's without his brother for the first time, and and who knows how long. Um, I, I think all of that stuff legitimately does play into to the game and to his performance, especially with somebody who appeared to be so consistent and, and unshakable. Uh, he has looked, I don't want to say shook unrecognizable. <laughs> yeah, right. He just kind of looks shooken. He looks like, I mean, he was, he was automatic. And uh, the, the first couple things that we noticed from the first few games was he was every single one of his shots was online. It wasn't a left or right thing. It was always a, a short or long thing um, and uh, phrasing. And it was, <laughs> you know, he's, he since the first few games in this patch of struggle in this little struggle patch he's in, uh, you were starting to see shots way off, way left, way right. Uh, not really I, to your, to Malik's point, I guess it did look like he was trying to figure out when was the best time to get his shots off. Um, and I think he's still struggling with that. Even last night, he, he, his shots fell and he, he knocked a couple down, but, uh, still didn't look like he had the confidence that he had in the first couple games. And I do wonder if also fatigue is something that plays into that. Um, I think you and I were talking at the end of la- uh, last night's game about how that could have been affecting Harrison because that was the first thing Harrison brought up in his post-game press conference uh, after after his 20-point uh, performance was it was really nice to have the day off in between the game, and I think that really helped me. So it wouldn't surprise me if that's a- another thing uh, kind of jamming at Keegan as well is he has not had to practice every single day for basketball (laughs) right he's had other things going on definitely not really worried about either one of those guys um definitely going to come around and they're super important members to to sacramento's roster um when it comes to the guy that is backing them up pretty much there's always some sort of combination at least two of the three of Harrison Barnes, Keegan Murray, and Trey Lyles on the floor. I think ideally right. on an ideal night that wasn't able to happen in Golden State because they went really small um, and just trying to switch everything on Steph Curry is is a tough ask. And I, I think that Golden State was kind of an outlier for rotations in my mind. Miami was pretty small too at times. Like there, there's going to be variance, but I think ideally two of the three of um, or at least one of Harrison Barnes, Keegan Murray, or Trey Lyles is on the floor at all times. Um, because they need someone to fill that four spot and that are really that's really all the fours on this roster that Mike seems to trust at the current moment. Um, and Trey Laos has been really good um, mm-hmm. in that game against Sacramento or I'm sorry, against Cleveland, 16 points for him. Like I said, five and nine from the field, four of seven from three. Um, and he's been playing pretty solid defense. I kind of was thinking that maybe Trey Lyles was going to be the top of their defensive ratings before Mike said the name. I'm not saying he's their best defender, but I, I think that he's been like doing a lot of the small things well for them. And, and he's talked about Trey being a good defender recently. But I think the big thing for Trey Lyles is we've talked about this before, before Chris. I don't know how much we've said it on, on a pod or anything, but like Trey Lyles is just the king of the pump fake. Uh, when he got traded over from Detroit, I had Detroit people telling me that like 
you're going to get sick and tired of his pump fakes. He's going to pump fake everything, even when he's open, and he's going to, and it just ruins all the momentum of that offensive possession. And before we give our thoughts on it, um, there was a great quote from Mike Brown post game about Trey Lyles and specifically about those pump mm-hmm. fakes um, that I'm going to play here. Mike, Trey Lyles looks really confident and comfortable in his role. Will you speak a little bit on what you're seeing out of him consistently? I, I, you know, the, the neat part about this is coming from another team, and especially uh, running the defense, you can kind of tell these guys um, what, the, what we felt, what I felt their shortcomings were when we had the guard or playing against them. And I told Trey, I said, I said, Trey, when I was with the Warriors, I said, we told our guys to close short on you because we know that you want to shot, fake, and drive. And I said, you're way too good of a shooter for that. Ain't even close. You shouldn't be shot faking at all. Let that MF fly. And um, that's what he's doing. He's letting it fly. And he can shoot. He, he can be an elite shooter. And now the thing about it is he can do more than that. Um, he's playing extremely hard. He's trying to rebound for us. You know, defensively, he's trying to defend. Um, he, he just just his presence on the floor is creating space for others. And now every blue moon, if they run you off the line, you have the skill set to go make a play. That's when you need to go make a play. And he's bought into that role. He's been fantastic. That had me way too hype, to be honest, because this is like a coach actually really changing a player's style in my mind and really helping him succeed. Like, we'll have to see how much this sticks. Maybe I'm buying too much into it and I just love Mike Brown. But I mean, what do you think? Is that that not a pretty cool moment? Yeah, I mean, (laughs) the second he said uh you know the pump fake thing i instantly was looking at you like there is no way that he's really saying this right now and i i think the whole concept of it is really cool because you know it it reminds me almost of like i he, i hear that in football all the time where it's like that's the it, when you hire a defensive coordinator as your head coach and you have Peyton Manning or something like that that's what the defensive coordinator is supposed to do he's supposed to tell the quarterback like hey when we're going against you these are the things that we're trying to do to scheme around what you do well. So you should know you should be playing chess at that point and be a step ahead of where we're trying to do manipulate what we're trying to manipulate you with. Um, And that's where, again, you're playing chess, not checkers. And uh, if Trey Lyles can, can become in the words of Mike Brown, let that MF or fly, that changes the scouting report on him, and that's when he can revert back to his old pump fake, and that'll make it even more effective. It's like, it's it's a uh, yeah. I mean, that's exactly what this kind of stuff you want to hear. And like, if if it can positively affect a Trey, I almost called him Trey Young. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. <laughs> Trey Lyles is, um, you know, his career trajectory. If this makes Trey Lyles a different type of player, this is like number one in hopefully a future long list of like, wow, Mike Brown is Mike Brown made this guy. Um, And that's a thing that a lot of like 
good teams, that happens. You find diamonds in the rough that are right there. And it makes sense for it to be Trey Lyles. Like, what really does Trey Lyles not do well besides, you know, he, he's he's a guy who's maximized uh, his potential. He he really can do just a little bit of everything. Chemezi Metu, I think you and I were talking actually yesterday, he, he's a similar kind of thing where he's, he can, he's a guy who can really do a little bit of everything. It's just having somebody who can mold you into a player that's that's useful. <laughs> As, I don't know if that sounds messed up, but it's the best way I could put it. No, definitely get you. I, I mean, I think that he's been great. Um, and yeah, I mean, seeing a coach help unlock and in kind of enable a player is just so opposite to what I feel like we're kind of accustomed to. Usually guys are somehow getting worse or getting asked to do (laughs) things that they're not good at and it makes no sense. So maybe that's why I'm super excited about this. Um, The other key player off the bench is obviously Malik Monk and and coach Mm. talked about pregame like, you know, everybody likes to put so much stock into starters and blah, blah, blah. And, and, you know, people key in on that so much. And he's like, but really, if I was, I think he says, I'm like, if I was a reporter, if I was blah, 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 he listened to a couple different jobs yeah. for some reason. He said he fan, like, he said media, yeah. he said broadcaster or something like yeah, that. Yeah, all of the above. Then I would care about who's on the floor at the end of games. And Malik Bunk has been on the floor at the end of games because he's playing out of his goddamn mind. He's passing like I've never I, I never knew Malik could pass like this. And I thought it was like a fairly new thing. I knew it was talked about that he was a good passer. Um, but I had like somebody that covers Charlotte kind of be like, oh, well, Malik could always really pass. And maybe he just didn't get the opportunity like this because him and Davion kind of alternate running that second unit. And Malik's been really good. Malik's gotten minutes alongside De'Aaron a lot more so recently than what we saw at the beginning of the year because I think Coach is getting a feel for his rotation. Um, I think Malik's effort on defense is really solid. We've had a couple moments of him even protecting the rim because the way that the Kings defense work, like sometimes right. the the guard is going to be the one stuck needing to be that final rim protection. And I think like we see Malik willing to do that, not every single time, but I think there's a lot of times that it's there where he's not exactly being a liability on the defensive end. Um, and then offensively, I mean, he's a bucket. He puts pressure on the rim. I think after Fox and Sabonis, he's the next best option at penetrating the paint and getting to the rim and kind of bending defenses from there. And then his playmaking is stupid. He's such a good passer. Um, I've been blown away. Like Malik Monk is is one of the best things that that the Kings got this offseason. And I mean, have have you been surprised at, at kind of the level he's been playing at? Yes and no, because the things that you're describing, the way he's playing, it's the reason why he's been a top recruit his entire life. I mean, he, or number a top prospect his whole life. I mean, this guy went to Kentucky with De'Aaron Fox and it was known coming in that they were going to be a problem. Like Malik, uh, I think earlier in this season, it was Kevin Herter. It was either Kevin Herter or De'Aaron talking about the first time. I think, you know, it was Herter. Herter was talking about the first time uh, he had met De'Aaron and he was like, yeah, we met at a camp and uh, De'Aaron was good. And like Malik at that point was Malik. And, he, you know, I, I realized why he was Malik. So this is a dude who was known on the circuit. Um, he's I think he was, you know, a, a top three uh, prospect coming into coming out of high school. 
and you know these these are the kind of things that it's like all right yeah this guy has a little bit of everything he's a he's a playmaker he's a ridiculous shooter he's a jump out the gym athlete that up and under he had yesterday was was not something typical for uh for you know even in the best athletes that's some like shade and sharp level stuff um that's funny that i used him as uh (laughs) i don't know why that was the first example that came to my head um but yeah i mean i i say that's why i have not been surprised but also saying that this is how fifth sixth year for malik monk and yeah definitely last year in los angeles he finally uh caught on and i think everyone was kind of put on notice that malik uh is a real player but malik again had a phenomenal uh college career was drafted high in the draft but it didn't work out in new orleans like he he has not shown the ability to translate what he did in college to the pros uh, and I think now we're finally starting to see that kind of development. And it, again, just kind of speaks to you can't really give up on hyper talented guys like this this early. And I mean, it sounds crazy, but Malik Monk is 24 years old. Like he's got a lot of career still left in him. This is I mean, it could be an absolute steal if the Kings can manage to keep this guy moving forward. We won't. I, I'm not going to get ahead of myself yet, but. Um, it's just great to see Malik finally showing the level of productivity that he's honestly been destined to have for an incredibly long time. Absolutely. Have you been surprised? I mean, I, I think kind of like to what you're saying, like he's just doing it. He's been Malik Monk. Like he, he's been doing it in the exact way that you would expect, but I have been surprised by the passing for sure. Like, He's so nice with it. The level of pass for sure. I mean, he's probably the he's not probably he is the king's third best playmaker behind Sabonis. Um, I mean, you could argue natural playmaker, possibly second, because De'Aaron does by virtue have the ball in his hands quite a bit, and he's not really, you know, ever except for early in his career, never really had eight plus assists. I think Malik's getting six assists per game here while also playing in the flow of his his shooting offense yeah i would definitely call him 30s he's five point uh the order of assists per game right now 6.1 for sabonis 5.1 for De'Aaron, 4.4 for malik and then actually herders after that at 3.2 before hb and and davion both tie for Mm. two a game um malik's been great and then i think when it comes to the other three starters we haven't talked about i mean domas De'Aaron, and herder kind of all been as expected I, I think like small thoughts on each one of them like I, I think that Sabonis looks a lot better when he's a lot more aggressive and I think he has been recently um he's not very good at defense to be honest um but Kevin Herter, but he's top 10 in plus defensive plus minus oh wow crazy crazy so he must be a good defender right um where does he rank on Mike Brown's defensive scale that's the only thing I need to know <laughs> he's third he's third he's third. yeah yeah um so, yeah, I think Sabonis has kind of been as expected for me. I think Herter's been as expected. I think um, maybe even a little bit more confident on offense. I asked him at, at shoot around if that's been an adjustment, just getting more shots up. And he, he said, yeah, for sure. So uh, that's been a adjustment period for him as well. Um, defensively, he got cooked in that Golden State game. Like at the end of the game, Steph Curry just said, 
Draymond, <laughs> get over here and get Kevin Herter switched on to me. Yeah. And then he just went to work from there. I think at the end of the Miami game, um, Tyler Hero said post game that like they were looking for a switch in that final possession, but the guy wasn't on the floor. So they went Ooh. with something else. <laughs> um, and I'm not a hundred percent that it's Herder, but in my mind, that's probably who we're talking about here. Herder right. or Malik. Um, yeah. Cause it ended up being TD at the end. Um, mm-hmm. but Herder hasn't been great on defense, but I think he's been everything you would hope for on offense. De'Aaron has been ridiculously good. He's just scoring his ass off Scorched, passing yeah. like crazy. He's stupidly confident. Like the, the confidence that he has in his jumper, um, from the mid range that was already there started there last man. year. And then has been growing the three point confidence. Like Darren is just that guy, that guy, bro, that guy. He's going crazy. He's really been going crazy. Nine games played. He's averaging 25, uh, five and five on 53% from the field, 36% from three, shooting five of them a game. Um, he's only getting five free throws a game, which I'm going to guess my ground ain't happy oh, about that one. Um, but 87% from the line this year, which is crazy and just speaks to his confidence and like improved jumper. Whole lot of work with Luke Laux throughout the course of this offseason and, and keeps on going into this season. I mean, like every time that we see De'Aaron at, at the end of a practice or a pregame, like he's always working on getting shots up, coming off of dribble handoffs, um, catch and shoot threes off the dribble threes with Luke Lauks. Like he's just working on that shit nonstop and it's clearly paying off. Um, is there any thoughts that you have on, on any of like Sabonis, Herder or Fox? Uh, De'Aaron Fox is that guy. Um, Kevin Herder. The thing that I love about Kevin that, that he's that's happened uh it specifically happened last night i'm pretty sure it happened in in uh, golden state as well but he he's had some pretty cold nights the past couple days i think he's he's finished under 10 points in back-to-back games here uh after being arguably the the team's second best scorer for for the first stretch of the season uh but he still managed to get clutch buckets like it doesn't matter if he's had an off night uh he he's ma- he's managing to still um, make shots when they count and hit very, very tough shots when they count. And that's really all that, that matters to me. If, if, uh, if we're going to be in a ton of close games, like we've been to, to have someone to rely on to besides the Aaron to get tough buckets, um, I think is, is something that we have not had in a very long time is multiple options, uh, for, for a last second shot or whatever for, for down the stretch shots. Uh, so that's been a very, very welcome addition. And uh, I did actually just I want to throw this by you because I didn't think about it. I've been hard campaigning for Kevin Herter's early uh, most improved player candidacy. Um, someone I didn't think as a as an opposition is Tyrese Halliburton. Oh, God! how do you feel about me. that? That battle? I think that I never is it fair to... that Tyrese is for is. I mean, his obviously his stats were different, but his situation is also incredibly different. Yeah, but I feel like people never really give a damn about context with most improved right. player. Like, and they I really want to get Tyrese. Your guys should get it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I can't believe you just said his name. <laughs> it's like that. <laughs> it's like that. It is like that. 
Um, I can't believe he just said it. That's literally some like ex girlfriend. Yeah, it's it's unacceptable actually. Um, no, uh, I mean yeah. I kind of get it, I guess, but I don't know. I mean, yeah, I, I, would he be doing the same stuff if last year yeah. if he was still with a similar Absolutely roster? Not. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Um, so so we're going through each of these rotation guys because I feel like we have a decent sample size at this point and I feel like Mike has gotten a good feel for his rotations and the other two guys that we haven't talked about we've gone through seven at this point are Davion Mitchell and Chemezi Metu Mm -hmm. who are both dogs on the defensive end of the floor their effort is is ridiculous you're always going to get all out effort from these guys maybe sometimes they're doing a little bit too much on offense Mm-hmm. But if you tone that down, I think what they bring on the defensive end is pretty valuable. And Mezzi has been playing as the backup five, um, and that allows them to switch everything. Rashawn Holmes has been horrible. Um, so it's very – I'm all for Chemezi Metsu being the backup five over Holmes. I think that those minutes have gone a lot better than what we saw with Rashawn. And I think the big improvement for Mezzi has been that he's not – jacking up a bunch of shots. We're not seeing a mm-hmm. first quarter where Chemezi Metu has six, six shot attempts. Like he's ending games with single digit shot attempts. And uh, there's been a couple games that he takes like four shots, or I think he took like two shots in the, in the golden state game and in, in the Orlando game back to back. I think two in each of those games, something like that. It, it was a small number. And I think that's a big, progress step of progress for Mezzi and for Davion as well I think that when Davion isn't um, maybe trying to do a little bit too much on offense he has his moments of of knocking down mid-ranges um, the three-point shot needs to fall more consistently for sure and then I think he could get more minutes alongside De'Aaron Fox um, but defensively obviously you know exactly what you're getting um, you'll have nights like the Charlotte game where when De'Aaron is out um, that Davion's just kind of hitting all his shots um, and defensively, of course, you know exactly what you're getting. But the reason I kind of grouped them in together here as kind of the final layer to this rotation, because it really just feels like Davion Mitchell is going to play when De'Aaron Fox isn't out there. And then Shemezi Matu is going to play when DeMontis Sabonis isn't out there. And that's pretty much the extent of these guys' roles. Like, I, I think that we'll see more to that. Like I said, Davion can get some minutes alongside De'Aaron. I think we saw that a little bit in Golden State. At the end of the Cleveland game, De'Aaron didn't come in until there was about two minutes left because Davion was sticking out there. And I think he was doing a really good job on Donovan Mitchell, who's somebody that he's close with and I'm sure really familiar with his game. Um, And Coach just kind of ran with that lineup. Everything was fine with De'Aaron. But Davion's going to get his opportunity. Mezzi's going to get his opportunity. But how have you felt about these two guys um, as this season has gone along being the backups to Sacramento's two stars. Yeah, I think I completely agree with that last thing that you just said, where it's like, these are these guys, it comes down to he plays when Darren's not in and Mezzi plays when Sabonis isn't in and they just need to come in and star in their roles. I think, you know, D- Davion proved exactly what that or, or showed exactly what that is uh, in that Cleveland game. And it's, Excellent. Just again, high remarks to to Mike Brown for recognizing like, hey, this guy's really doing exactly what I'm asking him to do. I should reward him by not just pulling him and yanking him because I do think that it affects Davion. I think Davion's in a very hard situation um, to sympathize with him for a second. Like he's he was a high draft pick. He probably expected to come in and have he or wants to have some form of 
of a uh, of a big role with a team and he's being asked to really play 20 and under minutes and go out there and have the same kind of intensity you would if you were starting and i think we've seen you know the charlotte game i think um is a decent example of it that he he's a guy who can play if he has extended minutes but uh you know he he's got to figure out how to be most effective in his limited role and uh, I think he struggled with that, but I think we're starting to see him kind of figure out how he can uh, how he can maximize his minutes. As for Mezzi, again, I, I really do completely agree with you that um, a big part of why I think he's looked so good and, and a lot better than what he did last year is because he's just being a lot more reserved offensively. Um, he There would be times where he was taking, I think last year he averaged five or six threes a game. Uh, there's no reason why he needs to be doing that. It's okay if he takes one or two, um, but where you really want to see him at his best is around the rim and and flying at the rim like he had that spectacular lob last night uh, against Cleveland where he essentially grabbed it from Jetty Osmond and threw it down. Like getting Mezzi vertical in the air um, is where he's best near the rim. Um, and defensively, yeah, you, you, again, you, you nailed it. Like those are two dogs. Those are two guys who are going to give you a ton of effort and are going to run around all over the place. Um, I think Mezzi, the reason why we're seeing Mezzi is because of how switchable he is defensively. And, you know, a lot of the times in the golden state game, especially he would end up getting switched on Steph Curry. And, you know, that's, that's always going to be a tough matchup, but I think Mezzi showed that he, he's a much more, mobile defender than Rashawn is out on the perimeter. And I think uh, that that's going to keep him on the floor over him. That's definitely what we've seen so far. And and I think some people might think that maybe we're like overreacting to the rotations we saw last night. Um, but I think, I, so. I think that this is kind of what we've seen this slowly lead into. Right. And right. last night was the first time it felt like Mike had a comfortable rotation and it all made sense. Like first guy. In Mike flat out be, said that too. Yeah, and, I mean, and I'll actually he, just he play said, that clip. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, yeah, I'll just play that clip now where, where Coach talking about his comfort with the uh, rotation at this point. Yeah, Coach, you talked about, you have talked about before, the impact that maybe different minutes or, or short spurts has on players and you getting used to what maybe your ideal rotation is. And I'm sure there's variance every single night, but do you feel like you're getting a good idea of what your rotation will typically look like? Yeah, I mean, this this is... This is the most comfortable I felt going into a game, most at ease, relaxed, however you want to call it, because I do feel like I'm starting to know the team better. Uh, they're starting to know me better. They're starting to know each other better. And uh, the more times we step out on the floor, uh, I think the better that's going to be, you know, at the end of the day. And, and uh, if we take care of the things that we can control with as talented as the group is and as hard as they work and as together as they are, with everybody being all in, uh, the wins and losses are going to take care of itself. You know, uh, we we talked about before the season that you know we're we're looking at this thing in in, in with in many seasons, we're looking at every five games, and there are benchmarks that we want to hit after every five games. And you know, obviously the first five we were one and four. Um, this five we were three and two, and uh, with the two being games that could have gone get away from us. And uh, so we need to keep understanding that this is going to be a marathon. We don't need to look at it as 
as a marathon. Um, <clears throat> we need to look at it as we need to be present with where we are and understand it. And, and if we if we are present and understand where we are and try to get better every day, um, like I said, wins and losses will take care of itself because this group is is really good together. Yeah, I mean, to Mike's point, I mean, he, he obviously looks comfortable. He talked about those playing in or kind of viewing the season in different five-game stretches, but right. um, the importance of not only him learning all his players, but all the players learning each other. And I think he also, we talked about earlier, the kind of chemistry that Malik and Kevin Herter have had um, in that in that closing game against Cleveland, but kind of just getting comfortable in, I think, their free-flowing offense. There's so much of like just understanding each other on the floor, understanding the offense, um, but also your teammates and then coach knowing what each guy can and can't do in his system. And I think he's starting to, to get a better feel for that. Um, I, I think my question to you is, is there anything that you would change with these nine guys? Is there, I mean, there's going to be changes every, like it's not going to be not the exact same nine guys every single night. There's going to be variants. There's going to be nights where you see Casey Akpala. There's going to be nights where you see Terrence Davis. Um, if there's injuries, you could see other guys step in, but is, is there anybody to you like outside of the nine that you feel like could maybe sneak into becoming the 10th? Yeah, I think Terrence Davis is going to be that that swing, uh, not necessarily just a, a, a swing on the on the court, but like I think you know he he's going to be that guy that Mike will play in and out with. I would be surprised if we see Kaziak Paula. Um, the fact that he went from starting to uh, just not at all playing uh, makes me feel like it, they're going to really have to find a very specific situation that where they feel comfortable to bring him in. Um, I, I don't really, I, I don't, I don't really think so. I think unless Rashawn can take back, um, the Mezzi minutes, which would surprise me at this point, I, I think the only way Rashawn's going to get back on the floor, um, is if, I mean, you would think that he probably would have played against a team like Cleveland for size, but, uh, it would probably take like Domas getting in foul trouble again for, for Rashawn to get another shot anytime soon. Maybe do we see some Namias Keda at some point if if things you know if he's if he's up on the right day is is that maybe somebody who who they can try and find minutes for I don't think so but um, that would kind of be the only option I think I think my bigger point is that maybe that backup center role is still for for grabs but besides that I kind of do feel like these are the best nine options for this team to play with Terrence Davis kind of being that other Terrence because Terrence can play the guard. He can play for, for yeah. Malik or Herter, but he can also play big and fill in for, for that three position as well. Yeah. I think we'll see moments of, of TD. I think that maybe he could come around to breaking in is, is kind of that 10th guy. But I, I think that the nine that the Kings have been working with right now, I, I think is probably the staple you're going to see on a, kind of night to night basis. And the Rashawn thing is really weird, man. Like, yeah, uh, I don't know, I've, I've said it a couple of times, I think, but like, it's making me feel like I like just was wrong about him being an okay defender when he was like, has, was he always a bad defender? And I just like talked myself into him being a good defender. I don't know what is happening with Rashawn Holmes. 
Yeah, he struggled on the perimeter a lot this season. I don't remember it being that bad in the past. And he always has averaged like a block and a half per game. And this season, I think he only has one block on the entire season. So I, I don't know really what has happened with, with his entire game. He just looks incredibly uncomfortable. Yeah. Like I, I keep it's kind of like the definition of like a square peg in the round hole. It just it feels like we're we're trying as hard as we can to make it make it work. And it's just it's not happening yeah. for whatever uh, reason, offensively. He for sure does not fit yeah. like just trying to run the ball through him and in the way that they play with Sabonis like that's just not going to work with yeah. with Rashawn. Rashawn needs to run pick and rolls and be able to catch at his spot and, and finish in pick and rolls. Like, yeah. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, but I'm feeling pretty good after 10 games, four and six. Um, I, I guessed three and seven coming into the year because it's a really hard schedule. And I think the big thing is Mike always talks about coach always talks about how they want to be trending upwards. And he's said the entire time that they feel like they are. There's always going to be a moment that you take a step back, but as long as you continue to like trend upwards. And I think that we've really seen that. And I think the Cleveland game is a really good example of that. And, and coach has always also talked about how like, you know, it's good that we're trending upwards, but it's even better when we're getting wins in that process because it reassures our guys that what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Works. And I think we've seen that. Like, I, I think that we're seeing that the Kings in my mind, like their recipe for success is I think they should be a top 10 offense and just try to not be a bottom 10 defense. You know, yeah. like even if you're 21st or whatever, like you could maybe get by, but just need to not be horrible on defense. And because I, I think the offense is going to is going to carry this Kings team. Yeah, I completely agree. And I I think that they've they've shown the effort, which everyone always says is whatever X percentage of, of defense is just the effort. And, uh, you know, you see it starting at the top. De'Aaron Fox came in yesterday. Uh, you mentioned he came in with about three minutes in that fourth quarter, and he only scored two points in the second half, in the entirety of the second half, but came in and got a stop on Donovan Mitchell. And then I believe the very next possession got the strip that sealed the game. Uh, so it, it's been great to see the buy-in from, from head to toe uh, with the defense and you know I think Sabonis has done about as well as he can in staying vertical and being a rim protector it definitely has not been um, you know a a merry-go-round at the rim he he's he's forced people to take take some tough shots at the rim and he's actually kind of forced a lot more misses than I would have guessed uh, had you asked me preseason yeah and three fouls last night I mean I think that through all his foul trouble, he hasn't had any moments where he's let that be him, let that affect right. his play. I, I think he's right. always been just as physical. Um, and I think he's an okay defender. I mean, I think that, I mean, getting way ahead of ourselves here, but if you're talking like a playoff series, like Domas is, is that, that could playable. come back around. Um, but yeah, I mean, I could, yeah. I can see it. I think obviously the long-term thing with this team is they still need a rim protecting four, right. but maybe Keegan Murray can eventually become that. As of right now, I think that Domas at the five allows you to be great on offense. Um, like I said, four and six. And I think the way to close here, Chris, is is guessing these next five. Um, next five games. Yeah. At LA, 
and then they have four games at home against Golden State, Brooklyn, San Antonio, and Detroit. So through those five games, what will the Kings record be, Chris? I feel crazy for saying this. Can they go four and one? They absolutely can. I they think absolutely can. There's three wins. One, they're owed one against Golden State. That's my thing. There's it'd be it's tough to play a team three times as it's tough to say competitively when at one point the Kings allowed 90 points and a half, but that ended up being a five point loss. And then we know what happened the second time they played. So those two games have been very close. Those have also both been on the road. It's not crazy to think that the Kings are going to, I was even going to say steal, but get a win. Like they earn a win against golden state. Brooklyn is going to be a tough one because Brooklyn is a little rejuvenized right now with Jacques Vaughn as their coach. And uh, KD had a ridiculous performance the other night. Um, but besides that, and it's going to be on national TV, who knows how the Kings will perform with the, when the lights are really on. Uh, but after that, having to play the Spurs and the Pistons, I'm also chalking a Laker dub. There's, there's no way we're losing to the Lakers because I just, I, I cannot, I, if we lose to the Lakers, they have to. Have. All the good feelings that we have right now are going to be evaporated in yeah 24 hours or 48, I guess, after the win. Um, so yeah, I mean, I th- I think four and one is on the table. Three and two is is acceptable. Two and three, and we're gonna live with it. But it's not great. I want to say four and one, like. Let's do it. I, I think I'm going with four one. I mean, okay, so San Antonio, Detroit, and the Lakers have to be wins. Right. You have to win those games. Um specifically this goal, this LA one, like you're talking about, because if all the talk is trending in the right direction, you just got a great win against Cleveland. You can't just make that win pretty much like not matter because then you lose a game that you should win. Right. Um and you know I know the Brooklyn one was kind of like the the hard one to you. This is their only TNT game of the year. They get one yep. ESPN game later, but this is the TNT game. And I, I that does not make me confident. That no? that does not ins- no, that makes me feel like they're going to come out way too like doing too much. Anxious. Yes, doing too much. Yeah. I mean, it could be that way or it could be them being super locked in. And just crisp with everything. You keep that rotation tight that night. Um, oh, God, there's definitely already some guys, though, that I could see maybe try to do a little too much. But, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm weirdly going to go four and one. And that would put them at an eight and seven record. And mm. if the Kings could work their way to above 500, um, or even just be flirting with it. I think three and two, I think anything less than three and two is a pretty big disappointment to be honest. Yep. Um, and that's a, that's a pretty good feeling. You know, I, I think that I was guilty of looking at this beginning schedule and being like, man, it's tough, but like, when does it get easier? It's kind of about to get easier. Uh, Say it really doesn't get, it, it gets easier for a little bit. You get a little exhale. Yeah. But it, it definitely ramps back up and you don't get a good stretch until about mid January, to be honest with you, where you can really, really take a second and play some lollipop teams. But right. 
the NBA is tough, turns out. And you really do have to show up on a nightly basis because uh, injuries withstanding, there's just so many tough tests on a nightly basis. And they have been showing up. Um, so I'm I'm optimistic and and feeling good at this point in the year. Bought into kind of what's been selling, and I, I think there's a, a reason for the fan base to feel good. But got anything else before we get out of here, Chris? No, that's about it for me. I'm uh, I can plug all the things that I'm doing, but um, do it. Just take too long. Well, uh, let's see. I've got. I just recorded a podcast this morning with Frank. Uh, go check that out. Uh, what is it called? Return of the Roar podcast. Uh, <laughs> what is it, it called? Spotify. Uh, this is King's Pulse. You're obviously listening to this now. So I did this today. Tomorrow is Friday. Hear me on King's pre halftime and post game on the radio, Sacktown Sports 1140. Uh, I'll be doing that with G Man. That'll be fun. Uh, that takes us to Saturday, where I will be doing King's weekly from 11 to noon, also on Sacktown Sports 1140, also on the Sacktown Sports 1140 YouTube page. Uh, and then on Sunday, I will be doing the Sacktown Sports recap show on YouTube.com on Sacktown Sports YouTube page. And that will be immediately following the Golden State victory. Uh, well, not Golden State winning, but Kings winning against Golden State. Uh, that will be immediately following that on the Sacktown Sports 1140 YouTube channel. And that's how my weekend's going to go. Oh, <laughs> There we go. Um, I'm about to head to the Stockton home opener. Later <laughs> Tell Avery I said hi. Yes, and then uh, <laughs> still going to try to talk Chris into going with me. We'll see how this ends up going. Yeah, that's not going to happen. Uh, <laughs> but that's going to do it for this episode of the Kings Bulls podcast. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Um, definitely take, take a look at the Kings Herald and their Patreon to support all the great guys and gals that are there and support local independent Kings coverage. And if you enjoyed this episode of the Kings Bulls podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review, and hear from us again in the next couple of days.